Hey guys, and welcome to The Edge. I'm your host, Scott Logan, and I'm so sorry for those of you who had to wait an extra week for this episode to be released. And really, you had to wait with no good announcement on why. Well, due to some personal stuff last week, I wasn't able to get the show out at the quality level that I thought you guys deserved, so I felt it was better to wait a week. And really what happened was that I caught a cold from my daughter, Ellie, who had a cold the week before, and I got halfway through the podcast last week recording it for you guys, and I just couldn't talk halfway through it, so I stopped and decided to wait until this week. But I missed you guys, and I've been looking forward to getting back to the edge this week. Now, this week, we're continuing the discussion about marriage that we started on our Valentine's Day show. Now, we've been going through the book of Ephesians since the podcast started, and it just so happened that when we arrived at chapter five, where Paul starts talking about husbands and wives, it was Valentine's week. What perfect timing. Now, since there was so much content that I wanted to go over in this portion of scripture, I decided to break this portion of scripture up. And as a matter of fact, we only covered verse 22 last time, and that is exactly where we're going to pick up on this episode. Let's read this portion of scripture again, and then we'll pick it up from our thoughts from the last show. Starting in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And last week, we talked about how this verse is so often taught incorrectly because it often is taught as an isolated point and not viewed in the light of Scripture before and after. And that a godly marriage is one of mutual submission. A wife is called to submit to the headship of her husband, and husbands are called to submit to the needs of their wives. In verse 21, Paul said to submit to one another in the fear of Christ. And now in verse 22, we're given the first illustration, wives to your husbands. As we said last week, this is not a matter of spiritual, intellectual, or moral inferiority. The Bible doesn't claim that a woman is less in any of those things. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, moving on to verse 23, 
For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Our westernized culture has made it difficult to teach this concept without doing it in the fear of absolute ridicule. This is scripture, but so often to quote it as such is taboo, and it categorizes you as a chauvinist. God has ordained a hierarchical structure throughout creation. In 1 Corinthians 11, we find out that the head of the man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Even in the spirit world, we read about principalities and powers, the rulers of this world's darkness, and the wicked spirits in high places. We read that Satan is the prince of the power of the air and is over all of these demonic forces. There are hints that there is a hierarchy within the ranks of unfallen angels too. So there is order within God's creation. And that order within our own human relationships started when we were created. God created man first and gave him the position of headship. He created Eve second and gave her a subordinate position relationally to man. Now, two things I want to emphasize. There is a difference between subordinate and subservient. God didn't give women a subservient position to men. If you don't know what those words mean, then check them out on Google. But the other point I want to make is in the distinction that this isn't about the female race to the male race. This is just about the relationship between a husband and a wife. Verse 22 said that wives should submit to their own husbands. This kind of submission is only found within the marriage relationship and not with any other guy. And that's because Christ is the model for all of this. This kind of relationship is unique to the husband and wife because it's reflective of the unique relationship of the church and Jesus. Verse 24 says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Paul is bringing out here the idea of marriage on a really high operating level because the relationship between a husband and a wife should be a representative example of the relationship between Jesus and his church. Jesus is the head of the church, his bride. The church is to submit to its head, Jesus. A wife is to submit to her head, the husband, and the husband is commanded to mirror Jesus to his wife in all of his behavior. Think about this, married Christian couples. Your marriage is an illustration to the world of the bond between Jesus and the church. That's really a call for all marital decisions to be made on a spiritual plane. That's a call for us to do everything we can within the established roles that God has placed on a husband and wife to invest in our marriages so that things never turn for the worst. It's a call for us to avoid placing our own agendas and selfish ambitions above our spouses. We've read about wives submitting to their husband's headship. We said that the husband's authority is a submissive authority. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Man, talk about setting the bar high, right? The word for love here is agapeo. It's the highest kind of love. 
The word carries the idea of making much of a person. When a wife knows that her husband loves her with this kind of love, a love that makes so much of her, you can imagine that it might be a little easier to submit to that man's authority in the household. Now, we as humanity tend to think of love primarily in the realm of emotions. God, however, relates love to the will rather than to emotions, which is why husbands love your wives is a command. He commands us to love and he commands us to love him and to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength like we read in Mark 12. He commands us to love our neighbors as we love ourselves and to love one another. Don't forget that we are called to mimic God in our walks, which means we're going to be living in love. So if love is something that can be commanded, it's not just in that realm of emotions, which is good because the feelings that we associate with falling in love sometimes change. Sometimes those feelings fade away completely. Emotions need to be cultivated. Now, the word that the Bible uses for love as a feeling is the word phileo. And phileo is distinct from the word agape because agape is talking about love as a principle. And phileo is associated with the ideas of kissing and fondness. Now, this is where it gets pretty cool for all of you who are tired of legalism like me. In the Bible, the word agape, the word for love as a principle, is used to describe man's love for God. God doesn't tell us to be fond of him, but he commands us to love him. But the word phileo, the word talking about kissing and being fond of someone, that word is sometimes used to describe God's love for us. God is fond of us. Now, Paul says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You know, I'm pretty sure that if you asked around, you would find a lot more women who would be into a guy who loved her so much that he would die for her rather than sacrifice her for his own fears, lusts, or ambitions. Married gentlemen, listen to me. A husband is to make sure that his love for his wife is of such quality that come what may, she will reign so supremely in his heart that no sacrifice would seem too great to make for her. I wonder how many younger people who want to rush into marriage would say, uh, I'm not ready for this, if they truly understood that marriage required that kind of commitment. Studying the patterns and life of Christ makes some pretty awesome premarital homework for a guy getting ready to tie the knot. Now, verse 26 and 27 are a continuation of the sentence started in verse 25. So husbands, don't be confused by this. We're talking about Jesus, not you right now. Let me start with 25 to get the whole flow. Husbands, love your wives just as also Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but holy and blameless. In 26 and 27, Paul is just 
placing the focus back on Jesus and kind of leaving the human relationship behind for a moment. This is totally about Jesus and his church now, and it reminds me that so often we don't really see the church the way that Jesus sees it. There's a song by a Christian recording artist named Jeff Moore, who I've always been a fan of, and many years ago, he wrote a great song to his wife called, If You Could See What I See. And the song mainly talked about how so often his wife looked at herself in not always the greatest of lights, and sometimes just didn't see much in herself, but that he was this madly in love husband who always saw something beautiful in spite of how she felt about herself. That song reminds me so much of how Jesus loves his bride, the church. I was talking about this the other day with some buddies of mine over some Chinese food. You know who you are. And we were talking about how you can't read the Song of Solomon, call it a depiction of how Jesus loves the church, and still be a legalist. That would be like saying that you hate dairy while eating ice cream. So often we spend our time pointing out all of the faults and blemishes and divisions of the church. Individually, so often we beat ourselves down with guilt and shame, and we get so wrapped up in the sin that we were forgiven for that we act like we weren't forgiven in the first place. But that's not how Jesus views us. He loves us with a love that transforms us, enables us, and regenerates us. He sees his bride, the church, as perfect and complete. He sees the church as it will be when his transforming work is done without spot and without wrinkle. He gave himself for the church, and as this scripture says, he is now able to to make her holy, cleansing her in the washing of water by the word. The Greek word for washing is, and as you guys know, you always need to give me a little grace on my Greek pronunciation, but the Greek word for washing is lutron, and it's only used one other time in the New Testament in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, which refers to the washing of regeneration. Lutron primarily means a vessel for washing and seems to refer to the laver used in the Old Testament. Now, a laver is basically a basin that was used for washing a Jewish priest. Now, back in the day, the priest, when he approached God, came first to the brazen altar where an animal was sacrificed and its blood was shed. This ritual symbolized the radical cleansing for sin, which is the basis of our salvation. Sin is so deep that it can only be washed away in the blood of Jesus. After the altar, the priest would proceed towards the tabernacle where God sat enthroned in holiness behind the veil. Coming to the laver, which was made of mirrors, he saw that although he was a few steps from the holy place, he was already defiled by contact with this world. He didn't need a new sacrifice at this point, but he needed to be washed in water to remove the defilement. He needed recurring cleansing. For us, the blood of Jesus secures our regeneration and the water of the word acts like a laver. Like the mirrors in the bowl, the Bible as the word of God reveals to us a defilement that we've picked up along the way while walking in this world. The Bible is a cleaning agent that removes the defilement. 
Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping your word. Guys, here's some really cool truth. Jesus already knows what it is to be human and the struggles that you go through each and every day. He's been here. He knows this world. He lived here and slept here and ate here. He built relationships here. He lived a life and then he even died here. He experienced the human condition here. So he has a really good understanding of what it is that you go through all day long. And he also is aware of the fact that we've never been a part of his world. And he is patient with us. He's working with us now so one day we can be seen in all of his glory and perfection. I think it's safe to say that his love is the perfect model for a husband's role in marriage. Well, that's going to do it for this week, guys. We'll continue on in our study about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 next week. But if you want to know more about The Edge, make sure to check out our official website at theedgepodcast.com. All of my social links are at the top right corner of the page. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at edgepodcast1. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Edge. I'm thinking next week we're going to finally finish Ephesians chapter 5. But in the meantime, make sure to find time to geek out on the Bible this week. I'm your host, Scott Logan, telling you that when you live, live on the edge.